might come to a surprise to you that on December 13, we would read a story about Jesus' birth. That's just kind of how the Jesus storybook lined up. But the beautiful thing about it is we can look at his birth from multiple aspects. You could look at his birth from the perspective of Mary meeting the angel here. Next week, it'll be from the perspective of the shepherds. And, and even uh, next week in the evening, we're going to look at Jesus' birth from the perspective of three foreigners who are, are, are you know, kings themselves, who are people who are important, who come to worship a king. So many different images and perspectives that you can look at for this story. But we're going to actually not look at the birth narrative. We're going to look at something that happens in between those two events that are talked about in the Jesus Storybook Bible. You have the event where, where Gabriel meets Mary and, and proclaims that she will give birth. And you have the event where Mary actually gives birth in Bethlehem to Jesus. Right in between there, sandwiched in between, Mary goes and visits her older cousin Elizabeth. And Mary ends up, there's a song attributed to her as well. And so we're going to look at those things. So grab your Bible or your Bible app and open it to Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start at verse 39. And look a little bit at this story together today. At that time... Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. It's not very often that people break out into song in our daily life, is it? 
There's a show that Emily and I watched that someone would see people break out into song. It was called Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. I think it's on NBC. The premise is this character Zoe, something happens and she witnesses from a first-person perspective people singing out their most inmost thoughts out in public. And often it actually ends up being this like dance and this kind of routine that she sees with people singing and interacting with those around them that are completely oblivious. She sees the inner struggles of her, her friends and coworkers and family on display through song. Kind of like a flash mob, if you imagine what that would be like. Just a random conglomeration of people starting to maybe sing and dance together. That's what she would see. Perhaps you don't envision other people singing songs. Mike, are you envisioning me singing this right now? No. Maybe you don't envision that. And maybe you don't really sing at home. I heard some people do sing in the shower. You know, your voice does sound better in there. Emily and I sing at home actually quite often. It's one of the things that I would say keeps us sane. We, we sometimes um, get tired of saying the same directions over and over and over and over and over and over to four-year-olds and seven-year-old and an eight-year-old. So instead of, instead of just saying it over and over, we started repeating songs, turning these directions into songs. Some of them were based on songs that we heard, like on Daniel Tiger, a show uh, that our kids watched, like, you know, songs about flushing and washing and be on your way, right? Bathroom song, or you gotta try new food because it might taste good, Right? when they don't want to eat their food, or, or maybe there's the favorite one for Peyton. Be nice. Be nice. Not just once or twice. Songs. It helps keep levity in our family. Sometimes they're based on things like that that we've heard other times. They're not based on established melodies, but they're, they're lyrically devised by Emily and myself on our own. Lyrical masterpieces that we, we sometimes would perhaps use pop culture melodies or maybe a hymn or, or something like that. And I find those to be my most favorite because it, it, it makes you have to think about what words you say and how to rhyme and, and how to play them together. But I'm not going to sing one for you today. But this whole idea is that instead of speaking it, it's a breaking of the silence, perhaps, in a little bit different way. And Mary's song actually is based on a song that came before her, and we're not going to get into much detail of it, but the song that it's somewhat based on and that you can see familiarity with is the song of Hannah. Uh, Hannah went to the priest and she so desired a child and she said she would put that child in service of the Lord, and when she became pregnant, she had a song, a song about 
Samuel, who would one day be born, or really a song about God and who he is and his character. So you can look back and in, uh, I think it would be 1 Samuel where we'd find that, but we're not going to be looking at that really at all. But for years, for years, it had seemed that God had been relatively silent to the people of Israel. It had been roughly 700 years since Isaiah the prophet had, had prophesied his message about the Son who would come and restore things and, and bring about justice. It had been 400 years since Nehemiah and Ezra and the people returning to Jerusalem and rebuilding the walls, rebuilding their worship. And all the while, for 700 years or, or 400 years or 100 years, the people had been waiting. Perhaps to them it had seemed like everything was just silent. And even the book of Luke begins in what we could say is relative silence. If we look at the book of Luke in the first chapter, we see that there's a priest named Zechariah that that is met by an angel saying that he was going to have a son by way of Elizabeth, his wife, who happened to be, uh, the term they use for it is advanced in years. Not sure we need to take that one and put that into our daily life, but that's what it said. She was advanced in years. And he didn't believe, and he came away mute. Silent. And when Elizabeth became pregnant, she herself went into seclusion for five months in relative solitude, and we could say silence. And then the birth of Jesus is foretold not in a public square where everyone was to hear, but privately with Mary. Gabriel discloses that she will be the bearer of the Messiah. And she doesn't go out to exclaim to the whole world what has happened instead. Instead, she hurries and gathers her things and goes to a small town in Judea to be with her older cousin Elizabeth in that secluded area where Elizabeth was, perhaps. Silence. You could say that theme is even extended when we, when we look into the book uh, of, uh, or another gospel, I should say, where, where we hear about Joseph and how he was thinking about divorcing Mary quietly. Silence. Doesn't seem to be Jesus breaking out and breaking through and people getting excited until we get to this point where Elizabeth sees Mary and in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. We hear. We hear this in multiple occasions 
but also that the child within her womb would be filled with the Spirit. Little John, filled with the Spirit, even inside his own mother. It seems that the waiting is over. Screen's going a little crazy here. <laughs> What's going on there? But the silence was over. The, the Lord was coming and it seems more imminent that God was going to be changing the world through a baby. A breaking in of the Gospel in a way that perhaps we wouldn't have imagined if we would have thought it up on our own. That God would come as a small embryo that would grow and grow, developing hands and feet, developing eyes and ears in his mother's womb. And this has Elizabeth and, and Mary so excited that Mary sings. Now, one of the things that we might say is that, well, how did Mary extemporaneously, that means in the moment, come up with this song? And, and, and there's a lot of different ways that we can consider that it's, it's kind of based on Hannah's song, so maybe it was internalized like that. But you could also say that maybe, maybe Mary, as she was reflecting on what God had been doing in her life while she was in seclusion with Elizabeth for three months, that's when she developed perhaps this song. But either way, the song speaks of the coming, changing realities of the world that they were living in. The upside-down kingdom, perhaps, that God would be bringing about through Jesus' birth. And she does it 30 weeks or so before Jesus is born. She does it 30 years before Jesus meets the cross and is risen on Easter Sunday. Though Jesus perhaps was not born in the manner or come about in the way that people had expected, the people really knew what they were expecting. They were expecting a Messiah. All throughout the Old Testament, Scriptures were, were pointing to Jesus and what He would bring out. They didn't know Him at Jesus at the time. They just knew it as the, the coming Messiah, the Son who would restore justice and peace and would rule on David's throne. You know, it's during this season that we often hear this song, and it's not my favorite, I'll be honest. Mary, did you know? And it goes through all of the things. Did you know he was going to walk on water? Did you know he was going to do this? Did you know he was going to do that? Did you know he was going to heal people? And my answer to this is always, well, yeah. Like Gabriel told her he was going to be the Messiah. That's something pretty important. But also we look back into Scripture and we see what God was going to bring about through the Messiah. So yeah, Mary knew the importance of this person. 
And she knew it and she put it even into words by what God was going to be doing and how God was going to be changing the world. Because it was a dream that they had. It wasn't just one that started with the idea of Jesus being in Mary's womb, in her belly. It didn't just start there, but it started long, long ago that the prophets would talk about one who is coming. That God had promised even further back that that David's throne would have someone, an heir that would be on it forever. That even further back when Abraham and Sarah were called out, that there was going to be their family, someone who was going to be blessing the nations. It was a dream that said the powers of the world would be toppled, that slaves would become free, that the poor would be blessed, that the hungry would receive food. All of that, all of that is within grasp as somehow Elizabeth, whether she has an epiphany from the Spirit, knows that Mary is housing the Lord. And then Mary pens a song saying, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Focusing on on God and what He has done. It goes on to talk about how God has been mindful of her humble state. The humble state of your servant, as she says. Or of His servant. Mary is quite literally learning how God is operating in this world. Taking the lowly people and rising them up, bringing them up, using them for His purpose and His will. Looking at her humble position, but also being even more humbled by God's work in her life. And when we think about Mary at that given time period, can't help to think about it in this way. This is how one um, Luke commentator puts it. Mary was property as much as anything. She belonged first to a father and then later to a husband. Mary wasn't part of a famous family. She hadn't grown up in a big city. She had absolutely no prospects whatsoever to make a mark in the world or to ever be remembered beyond her own or the next generation. Yet miraculously and startlingly, God had visited her with news so stunning it would take the rest of her mortal days to understand it all. It's a reversal of circumstances, the lifting up of the lowly, the exaltation of the humble. And that's how God works. That's how God had worked in Mary's life, and therefore she returns praise to him. She declares how powerful and how mighty he is. She declares to him how how he has exalted her to this beautiful position to which 
for generation to generation, people would count her as blessed. The interesting thing about that is that would not have been the first reaction of those in her own generation. When you think about perhaps that time period and back to that statement I made about Joseph who was initially going to divorce her quietly. She had become pregnant and she wasn't married. It was not something to be honored by in that culture. And yet, for years and years and years and millennia after, we recognize her as being blessed. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. She recognizes what God has done. Recognize that God is partial to the humble and that he would elevate those in lowly positions. And that doesn't mean that we are supposed to fake some false humility because that, that's not, not good to, uh, you know, tear yourself down so you look more humble than you really are, to, to minimize the gifts that God has given you in some way. That's, that's not what humility is. But humility is an awe and recognition that even the gifts that we give or, or the gifts that we've been given are something God has bestowed upon you. That He has... has allowing each and every one of us to be a part of His plan as it unfolds in this world, as He, he brings His message of an upside-down kingdom, one that flips things on its head to all the people that we interact with. And that kingdom is pictured in a few verses in this section as well. It's almost a section of the, the hymn or Mary's song where we can all join together and sing it aloud. It's a chorus that's representing all of the people in the world. And it's based on what she remembers of God. Stories of how Abraham and Sarah picked up everything based on God's Word. Picked up everything so that the world would be blessed. Perhaps you remembered in Genesis how God was forever choosing the younger rather than the older. Perhaps you remember sections of Scripture where God was exalting the lower and flipping the script. Perhaps she remembered stuttering Moses who didn't really want to follow through with what God had in his place because he didn't feel that he was able to talk well enough. And yet, God used him. Perhaps she had recalled how, how Israel was not this mighty nation when God had chosen them, but instead they were, they were considered the smallest of the peoples. And yet God chose them, not by something amazing that they had done, but because... He loved them. It's something that we've seen throughout Scripture and we see it here too. 
how God has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones and he's lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but then he sends the rich away empty. Look at the picture of what God does. Scattering the proud, bringing down the mighty, sending away the rich. I think bringing down the mighty is actually verse 50. And then in turn, he he changes it. He's giving mercy to those who fear him. He's exalting the humble and he's filling the hungry. God's strong powers are overthrowing the powers in the world demolishing the mighty and in place putting the humble. It's almost like this is the first Beatitudes before Jesus gets to the Sermon on the Mount. Mary's song and Elizabeth's words previously are words that celebrate what is about to take place. That thing which we celebrate year after year because it's happening in their own lives. Zechariah doesn't believe that Elizabeth would have a child because she's advanced in years. She's apparently too old to have kids, and yet John comes from her womb. Mary is perhaps too young and and doesn't meet the criteria to have children because she's not married, and yet God chooses her and enters the world physically in a full human and divine state. (laughs) Using people that were considered too old and too young to bring about his kingdom. The power of God causes us to, to look differently at those two individuals, those two lives causes us to look differently in all of our life situations. Because into this song, we're invited as well. We're invited not only by Mary and Elizabeth. We're not done yet, even though that says have a great week. We're invited not only by Elizabeth and Mary, but we're all invited by the words of John as he prepares the way for Jesus. We're invited by Jesus who will establish that new kingdom that's talked about in here. We're invited to know and experience God's character, to know and experience his heart, but then also to be one of the people who join in the song. To live out the song in our daily life. To recognize, much like Mary, that God's work is not limited by our social standing. It's not limited by the size of our bank account. It's not limited by the street address that we live at or the cleanliness of our homes, all those outside factors that somehow we believe are stamped on our identity are nothing. They don't matter. Because the only stamp that God cares about is the stamp 
on people's hearts. The stamp that's on your human heart, on my human heart, on all of our hearts. He desires that people would experience his heart through our own. That people would experience his love and compassion that breaks down barriers and flips scripts within our lives. That people would experience his saving power. I think that's the first part, to experience that saving power. To recognize that God is the one who does so. Mary does that in verse, uh, verse 47. Her spirit rejoices in God my Savior, and, and we too can rejoice in God our Savior. But it doesn't end there. God, God doesn't have people follow Him or, or invite people to follow Him to just experience that joy, but also to extend it to other people. To take part in His work. We're not waiting like the Israelites twiddling our thumbs, right? They weren't doing that. They were actively working and experiencing the world and seeking the better of the city as they went about their lives. And we too are directed to join in the song in the same way. Showing others the heart of the Messiah that has affected and put a stamp on our own heart by caring for people in small ways. That's one way to to join the song, and maybe that's the way the song gets a melody when people go back and and grab those thank you cards to send to workers at Spectrum or maybe Metro Health. Maybe it's because you you reached in your wallet and gave $5 to the benevolence fund that meets people's needs, like like needs of of rent money or or money for heat or, or electricity bills or food insecurities or whatever those needs may be, the song begins to develop as we live out the heart that God has stamped on our own. Perhaps the song begins to develop a, a rhythm and it, and it develops uh, other melodies and, 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 and beautiful other instruments filling in when we, when we are serving in other organizations, like the ones that just our church serves in, a few of them, Volunteers in Service, Streams of Hope, Kids Hope USA, Faith Promise or other organizations and projects as well. The song is, is beginning to, to gain steam when we take people grocery shopping when they don't have a vehicle of their own. When you mentor during the week, when you provide meals, when you su- send an, a, an unexpected or unexpected card to someone. When you take time to stock shelves at a local food pantry or fill bags for those who come and get them. When you give, uh, we're not doing it this year, but the food basket project. When you give of your time, like the way the gems and, and the cadets do. Small things. Each a small step of showing God's heart and revealing His kingdom. All a part of one big song that's being sung. And I think it's a song that pushes back on every selfish aspect of our life. 
the selfish aspects that only want to focus on us and what involves us and what involves our family. Instead, the heart that God has placed within you and stamped upon you is one that cares for others exceedingly more than ourselves. That's what Mary knew. That's what Elizabeth knew when she proclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your, uh, that you will bear, the child that you will bear. God's given her a wonderful thing to see. Perhaps they didn't see it ending in death, but they surely experienced seeing it in a world that would be forever changed and marked by God's love, His mercy, and His compassion coming in human form. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for this song. We thank You for these words of Scripture how you revealed to Mary that she would bear your son. And how we see that she, she lived for you. Even perhaps knowing that what would take place would be difficult and she may be looked at with disdain. But ultimately, she would be glorified perhaps. Remembered as one who bared your son. We thank you for her song and how it points to Jesus and how he would, would feed the hungry, take care of the needy. How he would speak words which would lift the lowly and sometimes bring down the proud. We thank you how Jesus would, we would call it love as neighbors, the people he interacted with on a daily basis, the people that he cared for. We thank you, Lord, that through Mary we see those two things. Beautiful service in an upside-down kingdom, but also glorifying you, recognizing it is a gift to be used by you. And so we thank you for that gift and we pray that your spirit would empower us to use that gift that you've stamped on our hearts. To recognize what you've done in it, but also to care for others by way of it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.